Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin, and my guest today is the host of the podcast, We Need to Talk 23. Mr. Ringo, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Hey, look, first of all, man, before we do anything, I just want to let you know, man, I'm a huge, huge fan of your work, and it's an honor to have you on my platform. I, I really appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you, like I said, you know, your, your name is, is, is touted everywhere you know I don't, I don't know anybody that has anything <laughs> negative or bad to say about you so it, i really appreciate you having me on it for that compliment but look i'm gonna try to keep it that way man. <laughs> first of all man let's let's just start from the beginning man how did you even get into podcasting um i got into podcasting honestly to to ease my <laughs> my nerves um and and anxiety um around the time when George Floyd was murdered, it sent me, uh, honestly, it sent me into a space and place that I wasn't comfortable or familiar with, only because I'm always, in my family and everything, I'm always known as a calm, cool, laid back one, nothing never gets me really riled up and, st or, and stuff. So for, I'm not gonna say for whatever reason, but when that happened, I avoided watching the video for as long as I could, and it popped up one day, and I'm not even sure why I watched it that day, but when I watched it, it just, it triggered something in me, and my mind started racing, and I was trying to figure out, like, damn, how do I apologize to my kids, because I felt like I lied to them, you know, because I have three boys, so I've always told my boys, I'll always protect you, do anything to keep you safe, and then when I saw that happen, it's just like, even, you know, with all the other police shootings and different things for the, the George Floyd incident, it just seems so much more different. And, you know, I really felt like I lied to my boys and I apologized to them. I apologized to my wife. It was just like, you know, we're giving, that, giving our boys all of the tools necessary to go out into the world. And everything that we're telling them is, you know, with the George Floyd incident, it just seemed like it didn't matter. So my mind was racing and I had a... Uh, cousin of mine saying you know what you should check on you know we should start checking on each other so I created a zoom account sent the link out to as many people as I could and we did it um, we started talking to each other once or twice a week and we did it for about three weeks and somebody was like you should start recording these and putting these out and so came up with the name we need to talk I saw it saw it somewhere on uh, Facebook and I just ran with that for a while. And then once I started recording, um, I was just using We Need to Talk. And then <laughs> I sent the link out when I did my first episode and nobody could find me. They were finding everyone else named We Need to Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just added the 23 on and what the 23 represents. Everybody asked, are you a Jordan fan? No, it has, <laughs> it has nothing to do with sports. My birthday is January 23rd. So the 23 was just you know, a way to separate myself from all of the other, um, from all of the other, we need to talks and different podcasts and things like that. But, um, yeah, honestly, the, the podcast, the YouTube channel, all of that was just created to help me deal with that, you know, being in that uncomfortable and unfamiliar place of dealing with anxiety and everything else that was going on at that time. You mentioned, you mentioned that you felt like you lied to your family. Um, 
because you couldn't protect them. Did that did that give you any fear? Um, not being able to protect them. Yeah. Or, yes. It 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 really did because you know I know people will say oh you know I have big kids and I know my kids aren't the biggest kids in the world but my oldest son uh, will be twenty one this year. But he's, you know, he's quiet and laid back like I am, but he's 6'5", about 240. Mm. My middle son is 15. He looks older. He's not as big as, as my oldest son, but he looks older. His voice is as deep as mine. And it's just like, you know, when they walk out the house, they're very mild-mannered. But, you know, their parents would give any overzealous citizen... <laughs> Or any cop that, you know, would look at them and see them as a threat, especially my oldest son. He steps out the car, you know, but a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, he has his own vehicle and everything, but he gets out the car. If they ask him to get out the car, a lot of cops aren't big like people think they are. Yeah. So, you know, at 6'5", 240, he gets out the car. They see him. He's an automatic threat to some of them. Yeah. So it's, you know, so I, I that's how how I felt like I lied to them is because, you know, I told them I, I can protect you, but when I'm not around, you know, they're walking to school my son, you know, he's driving around and, you know, hate to say wrong place, wrong time, but, you know, he could just be driving through somewhere, coming home from work or something if the cop wants to stop him. It's just like, no matter what he does, I felt like, you know, sucks to say, but it felt like they could be you know, taken out just like all of the other, you know, young black men that that have been killed unjustly. And then with no help from the justice system, in my opinion. And, and like I said, I will say this to anybody listening. I'm not one of those people that say, you know what, all, all shootings were unjust. There are some where, you know, you got to put yourself in the cop's shoes and go, you know, if that was me, what... Well, what was I supposed to do? Right. You know, I, my goal is to make it home at night. If, if I'm telling you to stop or if I'm telling you to keep your hands up and you keep reaching in any glove compartment, your middle console, your, your waist belt, whatever the case is, you know, I, I get all of that. But, you know, like I said, you do have the good kids out there minding their business that, that end up on the wrong side of, you know, of a bullet or a gun from an overzealous cop or overzealous citizen. Yeah, Let's, I want to talk. I want to get more into this fatherhood thing because you you talk about your sons. Actually, just more family. I want to talk about you. Um, why is it important for you as a as a father, husband? Like, because it, I think I think we both notice like the role the roles of father have been diminished. Mm -hmm. So for you, what is this important about fatherhood? The important thing is honestly just being there for for your kids, um, because for me, I didn't grow up, you know, with my father. I knew I had my uncles around, my grandfather, and um, some of my older cousins, and things, but I never had my father around. So for me, the important thing is to be there to give my sons what I didn't have growing up, and you know, and a lot of people think, oh, financial this. No, it had nothing to do with the financials and stuff. It was just that 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 person, that father figure, being there. Because, like I said, I played sports all my life growing up, and to look up in the stands and you see, 
you know, all the other people on your team or, you know, even some of your friends, you see their parents cheering for them, but there's nobody in the sense cheering for me. And it's not that my mother didn't want to be there, but my mother was working two jobs. So yeah. it's just like, you know, in order to keep me out of trouble, and not that I got into trouble or anything, but it was just like, you know, I played sports. So I look up in the stands after the game, you know, I'm walking home by myself or getting a ride from one of the, you know, one of my teammates' parents or something like that. So for me, I said, I never want my kids to, I never want my kids to, to feel that. I like with my oldest son, my oldest son is from a previous relationship and, and I get it, you know, I, you know, I wasn't always there, but I was always there. Anytime anything happened, whatever, I'm right there. You know, it was just a phone call away. Hey, you know, he's having surgery. He's having this, that, whatever the case is. I was always there because for me, my father passed three, three years ago. I'm 40. Yeah. Yeah. About three years ago. I'm 42. I've never met my father in person. He's never, wow. he's never seen me play any sports. He's heard, you know, through people that I didn't even know that he knew. Oh, you know, your son is out here doing this. He, you know, he's a good athlete, all these other things. So I would hear through some of his siblings, oh, you know, oh, you, you know, your father said this, your father said that. And for me, for the longest, I was always pissed at him. Not, you know, and pissed to the point to where I spoke to him once when I was 16 and I told him, I said, if I ever see you, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> and what did he say to that? He could, he didn't, honestly, he didn't, he didn't, from my recollection, I don't think he said anything. He was just like, wow, you know, is that how you feel? Yes, at, at 16, because the first communication that I honestly remember having with him, I came home from school and there was mail uh, and then I'm from New Jersey. So in New Jersey, we have the mail slots on the door. We don't have the mailboxes like, like we do now. So they just drop the mail through the mail slot. And it, when you come home from work, the mail's just on the floor when you first open the door. So I bend down and I pick up the mail and I'll never forget it. And there was a letter from North Carolina Department of Corrections. And I'm like, and there's my name on it. And I didn't have any bills or anything back then. So I'm like, who the hell's writing me? So I open the letter. And I'm started reading through it, and that was the first time I cried with anything dealing with him. First and only time I could honestly say, because um, even when he passed, I didn't cry because I didn't know him. But mm. the, you know, he wrote me from jail, and he was apologizing and all this other stuff. And then you know, all of the false promises and crap that you know that we get. Oh, you know, I'm gonna be there when I get out. You know, I'm gonna do better. Blah blah blah. And he's still never was around so when i spoke to him when he got out that was just my initial reaction i'm like i'm 16 15 or 16 and i'm like you you know you wrote me from jail telling me all telling me all these things that i've wanted to hear growing up so you know for me it was just like why now you know i would i think i would have been at that point i was like i would have been better off if you didn't contact me and, and my mother mm. never spoke, spoke bad about him or anything. She never said a negative word about him, but he just wasn't there. So back to your original question, but his response, you know, when I told him I was going to punch him in the face, was just like, okay. And we didn't talk again for another five years. And then mm. he, um, 
he came to he came to New Jersey. He was staying with with his sister, my aunt, and he, you know, oh, I'm gonna come see you. I'm in town. I'm in, I'm from Patterson. Anybody that knows Patterson, Patterson is a big little city. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, I'm. We're not that far. You could, if you have nothing better to do, you could probably walk all the way through Patterson in one day with no problem. Damn. You know what I mean? So it's just he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna come see you. This, this, and that. And I stayed around the house waiting. You know, I was outside running around, playing basketball, whatever. But I made sure I stayed close to the house because he, you know, I'm gonna be there. Never showed up. So I spoke to my aunt and I asked my aunt, I said, what happened? Oh, you know, he met up with some friends. He went out drinking and it was just like, so <laughs> he chose to go drink rather than come meet his only child. Damn. What do you, do you know, do you know what, um, do you know what his background was? Like his, his upbringing? Do you know anything about it? Um, yeah, I know. I know what my what my mother and my aunt because I my, one of my well my aunt and one of my uncles I was close with but my uncle that I was close with or still sort of close to now he was in the navy so he was never really around but I when he, anytime that he came to town or anything you know he would I would hang out with him or I would go see him and things like that my aunt lived not too far from me. Um, when I lived in New Jersey, and, you know, I knew her. I was always around her. Um, you know, she would stop at house, come see me, different things like that. So um, I just knew that they were, if I'm not mistaken, they were from North Carolina, but they grew up in Brooklyn. It was, I want to say, six or seven of them. And by the time I was old enough to know anything, I think two or three of them had passed at the time. So, I mean, they grew up in the, they were in the foster care system. Um, I met the, the, I called them my grandmother because she was all I knew, really. But the lady that adopted them, um, I met her. Um, so, I mean, there, there may have been issues, you know, that I wasn't privy to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that, that I know of, you know, they grew up in the foster care system. Um, you know, my grandmother, Miss Brevard, she, she adopted them and things so that and that that's all i really knew about them and i never you know like i said got the chance to sit down with him to to really talk and get in depth in that conversation about about his upbringing if you guys had the opportunity to talk do you think it would have changed anything um yes i do only because at some point i I just stopped caring, not, not about, I just stopped, well, not, I'm not going to say not caring. I just stopped, I let go of the anger because it was like, at this point I was like, all right, I'm in my mid twenties, I think I was about 25 or so when I moved down to the DC area. And I was just like, I'm holding on to this anger for somebody that I don't know. Yeah. You know, there, there's no point. I'm like, I'm giving, I'm giving him all the, you know, I'm giving him all of this energy, hating him or disliking him. And there was no point. So then a couple years, almost 10 years or so later, come to find out he reached out to, he reached out to my mother through his sister. And he contacted me and he was like, look, you know, I want to build a relationship. And I was just like, here we go again. <laughs> and I said, yeah. nah, we can't. I, I said, I don't want to do this, you know, but he was like, no, 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 I'm serious. So I said, okay. 
I give you the opportunity to, because he was like, oh, you know, I want to meet my grandsons. And I know I, I have a, I'm not going to say a dark side. I have a, I have a side of me that, that comes off really ash holeless. <laughs> but it, it's my defense mechanism. I know it. But, you know, he was, you know, he's like, I want to meet my grandsons. And I was like, you know, the only way you can have grandsons is if you have kids. I was like, you don't have a child. You know, right. I told him, I said, I don't know you. You don't know me. I said, you know, I said, the things that you heard about me, you heard about me from people that you know, or, you know, even from your sister and things like that. I said, but we don't really know each other. You know, I said, I'm in my 30s now. I'm like, well, what do you have to teach me or tell me at this point? But I gave him, but I did give him a chance, and for the most part, he he came through. And I had to let my wife had to help me see this side of him because what he did was he would send me, he would call every week, never failed. It was never the same day, but he he made sure he called every week. It didn't matter if we were on the phone for five minutes. Hey, just checking to see how you doing, blah blah blah. And then one day he asked me for my address. And I said, why? He was like, no, he was like, just send me your address. And then he just started sending me money. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, and the thing is, I don't want people to think it was, and this is not to diminish what he was trying to, but this is what my wife had to help me see. And my mother was that this was sort of his way of apologizing because he was sending me, you know, it'd be $50 here, $100 here. Oh, you know, when I get my social security and I, and I would tell him like, I don't, I don't need your money. You know, I made it this far and I got to the point to where we started talking every week and it was just like, okay, cool. So I went on for a couple of months and I told him, I was like, look, I said, why don't you come down and, you know, spend the, spend the week with, you know, with the family, with my family. And I told him, I said, this still doesn't mean that we're good, (laughs) but I said, you know, I'm willing to try and, and extend this olive branch. So he was just like, all right, cool. And then it just all stopped. <laughs> the the money the money would come through, but it was no more phone calls. So it was just like it was just. Uh-huh. And then, but but then I learned it was some something that happened. I, I think he got sick or something because we did end up talking again eventually. It was a mm-hmm. couple months later, but we did end up talking. And I was just like, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't have, you know, your sister reach out to me. The you know, let me know something because I'm like. I told him, so the first thing that popped in my head was like, it's the minute I open up to him, yeah, that's this again. So he was, you, you feel like he was scared? Yeah. Now I can, I can honestly sit back and say, yes, I, I do feel like he was scared because I mean, I made it, you know, I was 32, 33, you know, and maybe he felt like, you know, I, I, I let him down or whatever the case is. And the thing that my wife had to drill into my head, my wife was like, you know, if you, you know, if you're a God fearing man, believe in any type of religion or faith, anything like that. She was like, maybe that was his way of helping you out was to leave. I don't, I I believe that (laughs) I got to take that with a grain of salt. Cause I'm just like, so he looked because he left when I was two. So I said, I don't have any, any memory of, you know, him tossing me around, playing football, none of that stuff. So it was just like, maybe, it, you know, it, it was best for him to leave. I couldn't say that now, but it was just like, even still, you didn't want to check in. You didn't want to stop by and, you know, because 
you know, I think there was drugs involved and things like that. But it was either either way, you could have stopped by, we could have hung out something. But yeah, I, I do think that he was scared. That's I, you know, and that's that's just so tough, man. Because you know, we think about you know, we think about being fathers, you know, having kids. I, you know, I only have one. You have, um, you have multiple. You have two, three, three, three boys, three. So. You know, just imagine trying to uh, like establish a bond with a with a. You're not even a kid anymore. You're a full grown man. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to establish a bond with a man. Forget a kid, a man who you can't tell him what to do. You know, he already's lived his life. He's had to. You know, he has had to fail, succeed without you all these years, and here you come, and it's like. How do you make space for that? You know, that's man. You talked about your wife. Um, we're gonna talk more about her later, but I want to I want to go more in depth with that. But how important was she in bridging that gap? Because you mentioned her a couple times. She she was very important because I I know I'm stubborn as hell, and for me I. I'm, I'm nowhere near perfect, but I'm one of those people that if I if I cut you off for the most part, 90% of the time it's because of something that you did. It's never me just going, you know what, I'm done with you. Because I like I said, I'm I'm forgiven. You know, you can make a mistake. We can, you know, things happen. I get it. But then like I said, in my father's instant instance, it was I gave you the opportunity, you didn't show up. Gave you another opportunity, you didn't show up. Gave you another opportunity, you didn't show up. And there was also, there, there was one time that I left that with my oldest son, and I got mad at my mother for this, and I had to tell my mother this when I was a little older. <laughs> but um, when I had my, my oldest son, he was in town, and I was, I was living here in the D.C. area, and my oldest son and his mother was still in New Jersey at the time. So... He was in New Jersey and he went to my mother's house and my mother took him by to 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 meet my oldest son. And I got mad at my mother because I'm just like, well, why would you do that? You know, he doesn't he doesn't get the right. He doesn't have the right to go meet my son. You know, Mm -hmm. I said, I've never met him. Right. It's like, so how, you know, what gives him the right to. You know, my mother, you know, she was just like, you know, I thought, it, you know, I thought it would have been a nice gesture, blah, blah, blah. So it, it took some time for me to, for that to sit right with me because I felt some type of way. I was like, all of the broken promises. I was like, I don't want him to do that to my son. Right, right. You know, he meet my son and I tell my son, oh, I'm your grandfather, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, no, he doesn't get to tell my oldest son that. Luckily, yeah. my oldest son was too young to really remember that. I think he was probably two or three at the time. Oh, okay. So it wasn't anything that he would remember, but I, you know, I know I was very upset by it, but back to your question, my wife, um, she helped with that because she would keep telling me, look, you know, you, you gotta forgive, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let it go, you know? And she would always tell me constantly, you know, him leaving, you know, he could have been on drugs real bad. Maybe he didn't want you to see him like that. You know, maybe he felt that he would, and not physically, but he would hurt your mother and, and things of that nature. And, it, you know, for the longest, I 
I didn't want to hear it. It was just like, no, you have a child. You, you know, you want to be around for that child. You want to see your child doing well. Because like I said, to grow up in the, in the inner city, and you know, in New Jersey, especially in Patterson, I said I grew up, never been arrested, never been in any trouble with the law at all. Graduated high school, you know, went to college, didn't finish yet. <laughs> Still working on it, but I said, you know, did all of these things, played sports at, you know, pretty high level in high school, got offered a baseball scholarship to, you know, to college, all these different things and nobody to, you know, no, not my, I didn't have my father to share that with, had my uncles, yeah. had my father, you know, my, some of my friends, father, stepfathers, things like that to share certain things with, but like I said, it wasn't my father being around. So my wife was, was instrumental in helping me see that. And it took, it took a while for me to, to, to start to understand that, that, you know, sometimes not being around is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So she, she was very, very big on that. Like, nah, sometimes people don't need to be around because they could stunt your growth and different things of that nature. Yeah. Let's transition to Patterson because you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned it a couple times. But my question is, why did you leave Patterson? <laughs> it was, honestly, it was. I don't know. You know what? Honestly, I, I don't have a, a a serious answer about that. I just wanted. I just wanted something else because I'm. I was working for TSA at the time, and this was right after 9-11. So it was just like, I just started filling out job applications. And the funny thing is the first the first two job offers that I got, um, I applied for Secret Service. I went in, I took the test. I passed the test. Um, and, and I'm very happy to say I got a 90. I still have my paper. <laughs> <laughs> this is over 20-something years ago, but I still have my paper. I passed my, my written exam and all that. I got a 90 and all of that. And it was just like, okay, cool. So, the, you know, they were like, if you, you know, if you take this job, you'll have to move to D.C. And at first I was like, nah, I don't want to, you know, I didn't want to leave. I've been away from Patterson before. Like I went to school in Arizona, high school. I was, my mother was thinking about moving out of Patterson. So I went to school in Arizona for a while. So it's not like I've never left Patterson. Mm -hmm. But all I know and knew at that time were my friends in Patterson, even though I have family all over the country. But, you know, I took, I applied for the job and then um, Metro Transit Police was the second job. <laughs> I applied, I got through, passed their tests, everything. Their process was just so damn long. <laughs> so I was just like, all right, cool. So then I had my cousin, uh, two of my cousins and my uncle were down here. And one of my cousins was just like, are you looking for a job? You want to move? And I was just like, if it's more money, sure. I'm like, I'm, you know, go down to D.C., be around y'all, you know, more often and stuff. So she had a friend whose husband worked for the Department of Energy. You know, they came through. The process went so quick. I mean, it went, it, it went quicker than I was expecting. So it was just like, shoot, I, now I got to go. I had what two I had like a month to get all my stuff together Department of Energy said we got a training class starting this day you either accept it or you decline it I said well 
I'm going to take it. Didn't wait for Metro Transit. Metro Transit called, I think, like a week or two after. I started <laughs> That's how I always work. <laughs> I was just like, all right, cool. I got a job, you know, working for the Department of Energy. So, I honestly, I don't know what it was, but, you know, once my cousin said, I, you know, I can get you in. It was just, I don't know. I think it was just time for me to go, time for me to leave Patterson because I don't think, and there's no, you know, no shade or anything towards Patterson. Love Patterson to death. I, that's born and raised me. That's what made me the way I am now. But I think it was just time for me to go. I think I sort of outgrew it. You know, I still have still have two of my, I have a lot of friends there, but I still have two of my really close friends that still live there. And anytime I go up north, New York or New Jersey, you know, I'll try to make sure I stop by and see them and things. But I honestly, I think I just, outgrew Patterson. I think it was just time for me to go. I'm going to ask you, I mean, this, this requires a little thinking, but I'm going to ask anyway. Mm -hmm. What do you think life would look like if you had stayed in Patterson? Honestly, <laughs> the way Patterson is now, I, I don't know. Because like I said, I've never, never been in any type of trouble or anything. But the city, it, it's changed so much from when you know, when I was growing up, I mean, between the gangs and the amount of people dying, going to jail and all that type of, you know, different types of things, people that I went to high school with, some people that I were that I was close to and different stuff. So not to say that I would have gotten into any trouble or anything, but who knows if I, if, if I would have stayed. I, yeah. I really don't know where I would have been. Was it, a was it a tough transition going from Patterson to the D.C. area? Yes, <laughs> only because I didn't know my, only because I, I had family here, but I didn't have any friends here. So every weekend, I, and luckily, thank God, I didn't work the weekends when I worked for the Department of Energy. Get off on Friday, first thing smoking down 95 back home every year for like six months. I would go home. I was killing my car. <laughs> you know, I was going home every weekend because, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, my son, you know, they were still in New Jersey. And then all my friends were back in New Jersey. So I would go home every chance that I got. And then once I started to started to realize, like, all right, look, you know, if you're going to be here, you got to make friends here or something. So the transition, it, it took, I want to say maybe six months to a year for me to fully transition to where I stopped going home every weekend. And how old were you again? When I moved down here, it was in 03. So 18 years ago, I was 24, 25. Yeah, 24, 25. Damn, no, you, no. you was a young man. Yeah, because we the same age. Yeah, 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 somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, that was it, man. So what, what was the biggest difference for you, Patterson and the D.C. area? <laughs> the just honestly just getting to know the lay of the land I mean because it, I I have friends that would you know would tell me oh you don't want to be over in this part of town after dark and I'll give you a quick story one of the first trips I had I was I didn't know nothing about DC but I was going out with a couple of co-workers and it was it couldn't have been no later than probably 8 eight thirty. Where I'm driving, I'm on the phone with one of my good friends, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm over here. He's like, where are you? I said, I have no clue. He's like, what do you see? 
I, I said, looked over, saw the hospital. I was like, I see Greater Southeast. He said, man, get your ass out of there. <laughs> he said, he said just a block. He's like, they're going to see them jerseys because I still have my New Jersey tags on my car. He was like, they're going to see your car. He was like, they're going to get at you. And, and the funny thing was I was going down the block and it, all these people just stopped. It's like somebody hit pause on the music and everybody just looking at the car. I just reversed back down the block. <laughs> man, he was like, you were over there. Healthy. He's like, you don't want to be over there. He's like, get out of there. So, I mean, that that was the biggest thing. It's just like learning how to move because the way D.C. is set up is just, it was weird to me. You know, just even the, the parking and everything. You could park on this side of the street from this time to this time. Oh, and then you got to come out and move your car for two hours. It was just, it, it was crazy. So it was just honestly getting to understand the DC culture and the people, but you know, once I got a hold of it, it was like, okay, I still, I'm st 18 years later and I'm still <laughs> learning it, but I, I got a better understanding of it now. You know, one thing that I realized you, you did mention um, when you were going back to New Jersey, your family was still there, but more importantly, your son mm -hmm. was still there. How was that? Because you, you know, you had the, you had the situation with your father and not that you were going to be an absent father, but now you're going to be so far away. So what was that like? It, it was tough at first because it was just like, you know, like I said, that, that was part of the reason I was going home. So I wasn't necessarily going, because even once I started going back home, I would spend a couple of hours with my friends and then the rest of the time was spent with my son. And it was just like, okay, cool. So I got to the point <laughs> where I got tired of going home and I had to tell my then girlfriend, I was just like, look, you gotta, you gotta make a decision. You either gonna come down here or, you know, we gotta do something. Cause I didn't, I got tired of driving back home every weekend. So just like, all right. So then I had to sort of ease her into coming down here because just <laughs> like, all right, you come down this weekend. I'll, I'll you know, I'm going to, send you the bus or train ticket, whatever. Y'all come down, spend the weekend, spend a week or two here. So at that point, that's how I started to ease that, you know, being separated from him because this was, this was before, you know, FaceTime and, <laughs> and all that. And this is in 03. I didn't have an iPhone yet. I was still, <laughs> but this, this was at that point And it was just like, then it was what, it was still the next tales and all of that. <laughs> Chirping. Yeah, you know, so it was just like I couldn't see him as much as I wanted to. So at, at that point, that's what kind of helped ease it was, you know, having them come down, having them to come down here and spend time with me versus me just driving home every weekend, putting so many miles on the car. But you eventually got custody of him, correct? No, no, no. She um, she moved down here. Um, you know, she moved down here and then, you know, one thing led to another and <laughs> it didn't last. It, it was, you know, it was great while we were back home in New Jersey. And then when we got done, when she got down here, it was just like, okay, <laughs> now, now what? You know, it wasn't, it, it didn't work out how we thought it was going to work out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once he, you know, once she moved down here and we just, it kind of, you know, it, it was sort of like a high school sweetheart. We had been together since 90, 
and I hate sounding so old, but it says about 96, 97 off and on. So, it, you know, it was a high school thing that went until, until 03. And then once, you know, the relationship fizzled, it was just like, okay, you know, but, but they were here and then she stayed down here. So I, I still got to see my son and, and things as much as I wanted to. Ah, well, that's good. I mean, because just the thought of her things not working out and then her going back to New Jersey. Yeah, that, that would have been a bit much for me. But, you know, but no, no, she she stayed and we we were able to, you know, work some things out. You know what? Let's let's go into that just a little bit. I don't want to go too deep, but let's, let's go because that that co-parenting situation can get really interesting. How did you two manage to make that work? It was, and in the beginning, it was it was it was great. It was just you know, hey, I understand this. You know, I you know, she understood. I was working at that time. I I left um, the Department of Energy, and I was working for for Lockheed Martin, and I was working overnight. So it was, you know, she goes to work during the day or whatever the case is, and I would take him to school and different things like that. So we we kind of work things out, uh, you know, as far as that goes, because then we really weren't around each other. <laughs> she was, you know, she's going to work. I'm getting off of work, so I'm going to pick him up. I'm taking him to school, daycare, or whatever um, he was in at the time. So it, it was fine, you know, I, as long as I did my part. You know, there, there wasn't any big, you know, any big issue as far as far as my son went. Okay. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because one thing you've been really open and honest about is uh, your marriage. And you've been married, uh, I want to say, 10 years? Yes, 10 years this year. Okay. How are you able to be so open about your flaws? Because you, you, you've made no secret about, you know, you, you've done some good things, you've done some bad things. But you've, you know, you've been able to maintain. You've been able to keep your marriage. How? What makes you able to communicate for us to hear that? It's just honestly, it's just bringing something to, you know, podcasting was like therapy for me because I'm not a, I'm not a big talker. So the people that know me to hear me on a podcast talking as much as I do. They go, we couldn't get you. If there was, if the camera wasn't rolling, would you still be this talkative? No, I wouldn't be. <laughs> so the, doing the podcast and it's actually, it was, it's really, it was really therapy for me. Just sitting down, talking to people um, and, and being open and honest. Cause I said, I wanted to have my podcast be exactly what I say it is. You know, we need to talk, having those uncomfortable conversations. So me admitting that, you know, my, my flaws and all my faults, it was just like, okay, I sort of feel like I owe it to my wife, to be honest, one, and I owe it to, to the people listening to give them that authenticity rather than just giving them, oh, I'm the greatest husband in the world and all of this other stuff. No, not just a bunch of bullshit. So I said, let me, let me, let me put it out there because I think it was even, I, I honestly think that it was refreshing even for my wife to hear it because she was, you know, she was like, you really going to say that? And I was just like, you want me to lie about it and tell him I'm the greatest husband in the world? No, I can say that for the first 
five years of our marriage, excuse me, that wasn't shit. <laughs> I was still trying to, you know, I, that, the, the, the analogy I use is that episode of Martin where right after they got married, he took his ring off and him and Tom <laughs> went to the gym. That's how I felt. I was like, I'm, I needed to see if I still had it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and that's honestly how I felt the first couple of years because it's just like, you know, you've given up, giving up the streets, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, home to one woman all the time and all this other stuff. And it's just like, you know, do I still, can I still attract that attention? Can I still you know, pull the ladies, all that type stuff, not that I'm married, and it's just like, okay, um, I, I, I'm fucking up, essentially, is what I was doing, because I said on the episode that I did with my wife was, you know, she wasn't looking towards the front door, but all of the dumb shit that I was doing, I was pointing to the front door, and it even got to a point to where I opened the front door for her to walk out of. Shit. And she, you know, and she even was just like, you know, I love you. I really love you. And then actually the quarantine, you know, rest in peace, all of the people that did pass during the quarantine, but us being home together during the quarantine actually helped me open up much more about everything because, you know, I had time to sit back and reflect on everything that I've done over the years. You know, I ended up in the hospital one time when we weren't together and she came to the hospital and she stayed at the hospital with me for the, for the two weeks that I was in the hospital, Damn. you know, and we weren't together. And it was just like, well, shit, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, there were, there were others that wanted to come to the hospital. It was just like, nah, I'm cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, my now wife, she was there. She sat there, you know, if I needed anything, you know, the food, was terrible that that I had to eat during that time. So she would go to Wegmans and always bring, bring me back salads, all these different things. So sitting home during the pandemic, I actually had time to sit back and think about all of the the good shit that she's done for me, you know, over the years. So me opening up about the marriage is just me being honest about about all of the things and why I hold her. To, you know, I put her on this pedestal. Because, you know, you always hear people say you don't put people on pedestals because, you know, it's, you know, they're not guys and all. And it's not about being guys. It's just like I could have I could have lost her because of the dumb stuff that I was doing. You know, you so because you mentioned like, man, you was you pretty much was opening the door. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever sit back and think like, damn, I really could lose her and what it would look like if you did lose her? I not until later honestly at the time it was just like because we had i've been with my wife now pretty much the entire time that i not the entire time we met in oh four i want to say so let's say 17 years we we've been dealing with with each other so it was always you know in the beginning it was like she'll be back or she's not going anywhere because even and she said it on the episode, even when we weren't together, I was always in a healthy way. I was always overprotective of her. And okay. she, you know, she always knew and she said it anytime she needed anything, even when we weren't together, she knew that she could call me and I would be there. And as you know, and it's only because and I told her, I was like, no, I don't need you stressing or going through anything. I said, because you have our son, our son, our our son, oldest son together. 
And I told her, I was like, I don't need to, I don't need him to see you stressed out. I don't need him to see you this way or that way. So I was always there for her at that time. So it was, you know, it was, it was just like, you know, she'll be banging my head in the beginning. I was always like, she ain't going nowhere. She'll be back. You know, she calls me now. She needs something. We're not even together. So I was being real cocky <laughs> until it, I hit that wall to where, oh, shit, she's not answering my phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, I got to that point to where I was just like, okay, I could really lose her this time. Yeah, you, stop all my foolishness. You actually, so you, you, so you guys. So I just want to make sure for clarity, you, you mm -hmm. two actually has separated for a point. That we weren't, we were always at that point. We were dealing with each other, but we weren't boyfriend and girlfriend. But we were, we were always around each other. So we were, <laughs> we were common in law. <laughs> <laughs> so we were always around each other and stuff. So, but we did. There was a point to where we separated. I think it was almost. It was almost a year. Like we still, like I said, we spoke. It, there, there was a point for about a good three, four months to where, you know, I would still see my son, but we yeah. weren't talking. <laughs> so. It was, yeah, I this is important for, for me, and I think it's important for the listeners because I want to make sure we clear. I want all the clarity I can get. Oh, no, were, you two, were, you two, were you two married at the time or you were dating? No, 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 no. We, we got married in 2011. So this is 2004, 2005 time okay. frame. So we, like I said, we, we weren't talking. So, uh, you know, when we split up, that's you know, just like, all right, cool. We're we not going to be together. And this was after, yeah, this was after our son was born. Yeah, somewhere around there. It was after our son was born, but it was just, it was it was because of me. I mean, I can say that. I can own up to my shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was because of me. And, you know, so I, like I said, there was plenty of times that I opened that door that she wasn't looking at. She might have had her back to the door. But I'm an idiot spinning her around saying, nope, there it is. So <laughs> I, I got to know, and I'm sure the people listening got to know, how are you two able to bring it back together? Because let's be honest, a lot of couples, especially ones that's not married, when they split, it's usually, you know, you can't bring it back together. It was, it was just, honestly, it was, it was me just, just being there because I I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted her and I wanted to run the streets at the same time. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it, and, that, and it, just, it just wasn't going to happen. It was like, all right, you got to make a choice. And, you know, we, we went away for a weekend together. We, ended, we went to a bed and breakfast in, in Pennsylvania. Um, so we went to bread and bed and breakfast and we spent... I want to say probably like Thursday to Monday or Thursday to Sunday, something like that. We spent about four days together there. And it was just, honestly, it was just us. There was no friends, no family around, nothing. It was just us, the bed and breakfast. We went to the Hershey Museum, <laughs> went to Hershey Park, all that stuff. So we got, so that started the, the rekindling. And I don't even know how, I don't remember how we got to that point. But somehow we got to that point and we started being around each other again and then there was a there was another time where we split up again and somebody 
somebody was, I don't know if it was her ex-boyfriend or whatever, but she was home and I was at work. I worked overnight and she called me. It was like one, one, one thirty in the morning. And she was like, somebody's trying to break into my place or, you know, kicking my door or something. And while I'm on the phone with her, I could hear them hitting her door. Oh, so shit. she was just like, can you come? And I'm looking at the phone and I'm just like, here we go. I got it. She, I told you she'll be back. I'm tell, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, <laughs> cool. But she had it like that because I was just like, I right, don't worry about it. I'm on my way. So I left work and I was a supervisor. So I had to do some stuff before I left. So I was like, I'm on my way. So I stayed on the phone with her the entire time there. I got to her house. You know, nobody was there, but there were dents and stuff in her door. So we started talking. And then from there is where we got to the point to pretty much to where we are now. It was that was the the second rekindling and it was just like, okay. And she was like, at that point she she said it on the episode, she was like, I realized how much I loved you and wanted to be with you. And I told her, I was just like, Well, shit, I dropped everything to, you know, to come be with you during that time. I said, We weren't together at the time, I said, but you knew who you could call in an emergency. And I was just like, you know, all right, now it's time to stop playing so many games. So that that was kind of how we got back to that point. And then once we got there, because she, the one thing she'll tell anybody, she was like, even when we weren't together, she said, I know I could always depend on him to to keep me safe and secure. What personal changes did you have to make to get to the point you're at today? I had to stop being selfish and greedy. I had to stop, stop looking at, like I said, stop thinking that I, that I could run the streets <laughs> and, you know, be in a serious relationship at the same time. Because, you know, I tell my cousins, my younger male cousins, and even some of my female cousins, I'm like, it's fun when you, when you're not really tied to anybody, but at some point you get tired of bed hopping. <laughs> you do I'm like you know I said you just gotta think about it you know just like the, you know the, the 18 and 20 something year olds that think that couch surfing you're going from friend's house to friend's house I'm like you know cause it got to a point where I was just like I'm home there's nothing to do it's a weekend and I can't reach anybody I'm not in any relationship but then you know all of the, the girls that I know and that I'm cool with they all out doing something i'm home by myself oh i'm gonna hit you back up when i get out of the club club let out phone dry as hell <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> so it's just like you know I, I gotta i gotta stop i gotta really make the choice before i lose you know before i lose this woman that that had my back through a whole lot of crazy stuff you know she's like i said she was the first outside of maybe a funeral or something She's the first woman that I've cried in front of <coughs> and didn't and didn't feel any any type of way about crying in front of her. So I said, well, shit, they, they asked me something because I'm not an emotional person at all. <laughs> so for me, you know, for me to be able to to let that raw emotion out in front of her, it's mm -hmm. just like, all right, she she's the one. And I almost lost her. I'm going I'm to ask a question because I know it would be some woman wanting me to ask this, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Okay. What the hell took you so long to realize the woman you had? 
being being greedy. <laughs> like one one isn't enough. I could do, you know, I could have this many. I could have that many, and all. You know, honestly, it was just me being greedy because I, I I I attributed it to this. I played <laughs> I played basketball. I played football in high school, and all of that. So it was just like one. One girl, <laughs> you know. What I mean, it was honestly it was just me being cocky and me being greedy. And then once I saw, you know, how much it was hurting and affecting affecting my wife, it was just like, okay, I, I really have to stop this shit before I before I lose her because, like I said, I you know I, at one point you know during a a brief break, it was just like, oh, I'll be all right. Nah, it was, you know, like I said, once you. You, you're accustomed to being around somebody, you know, when they're not there, it's just like, shit. Just like now, you know, wife's out of town now. I go to bed, we all talk shit, and it's, oh, this is great, you know. <laughs> I got some free time, but then you go to bed, and you feel over there, and there's nobody over there. <laughs> you yeah, know, that'd so. be, that's a bullshit right there. Yeah, exactly. You're talking about, damn. <laughs> Them late-night phone calls don't make it no better, so... <laughs> But no, it's just like, you know, it was just, it was just that, that I had to get out of my own way and see, because like I said, I didn't want to push, push a good woman, my good woman into another man's arms and then have her be good for him. Nah. Oh shit. That's the worst. I, I, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, what type of time I put in, yeah, although it was my fault, a lot of the times it was my fault that we were going through some of the shit that we were going through, but it was just like, you know, I know what she brings to the table. I don't, I don't want to give her away because of my, because of my screw ups. So. Man, listen, I, listen, I, I tell, I tell my wife this all the time. Like I never understood people who could say like, you know, if they get divorced or something, they could see somebody like we move on and you could be like, you could be happy and I could be happy. Listen, I don't want to see you happy. Nope. <laughs> not without me. I don't, I do not want to see another man making you happy. That is the worst visual I could put in my head. So I don't like, I tell my wife, my wife, you, you, could we be friends? No, uh -huh. we cannot be friends because you know, a friend will be happy for you. You know, if you move on and you find happiness, I'm telling you straight up, no, I'm not happy. I don't want you to have happiness outside of me. Anybody listening, I don't care how you feel about it. Not no, I don't want to see my wife being happy with another man. That is ri ridiculous. Yeah, you know what's funny about that? A quick story. I was I used to throw parties during one of the one of the split ups with me, well, girlfriend at the time. We weren't married at that point. But I was throwing parties and stuff. And my wife was like, well, how come you never invited me to any of your parties? I was like, what the hell make you think I want to see you at one of my parties having a good time? But then I'm like, no. I'm like, hell no. She said, we weren't together. Exactly. So I don't, and I said, no matter what, I was like, at that time, you were still the mother of my child. I was like, you think I'm going to see you in there dancing with some other guy, see some guy buying you a drink or something? No, hell no. I was like, nah, I wasn't inviting you to none of my parties. Man. But now you, you know, now you two, you know, I, I, I didn't get a chance to hear that podcast, but I've actually got a chance to talk to you both on a live and you two are in a, in a really good space. So now that you're in this space, like, 
I want you to talk about, I want you to talk to men about the advantages of marriage, because I don't think enough light gets shares on that. I mean, the, the advantages of marriage, honestly, is, is just having, having that person, you know, that, that has your back, that knows, you know, your, your flaws and your weaknesses and still willing to accept them and accept you with those flaws and weaknesses. Because, you know, like I said, I, I'm not one of them guys that's going to say, oh, I got it all together. I'm this, I'm that. Nah. I mean, like I said, she, my wife, for my shortcomings, my wife makes up for that. You know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you can get any woman to do that. No, no, you can't. What? <laughs> the hell, you cannot. I'll tell you that loud and clear. You cannot. I'm like, because there's the same way, you know, there's, there, you, you have Nike, Reebok, Adidas. You got all these shoes out there. But they all run differently. Adidas run true to size. Nike runs, you know, Nike is more expensive. Adidas, I mean, not Adidas, Reebok makes ugly shoes. <laughs> you know, you got all these different things. And that's how you got to treat the women. Yeah, they all, they're all shoes, but they all bring different things to the table. And it's the same way with a woman. You might get a woman that can cook, but, you know, sex may be bad. <laughs> you get a woman that can have great sex but can't cook. You might have a woman that can have great sex and you know and can cook, but she doesn't clean. As a, you know, there's different things that they you know that the women bring to the table, and it's just like when you get a woman that has all and does all of these things. You know, like I said, it, it, it's it's just being having to have that person that that has your back, that is, you know, what I mean that that you can lean on, that you could depend on, because you get some women where shit go bad, and they just like. I don't have to deal with you. I'm out. And then they just leave. Like I said, it's been good times. It's been bad times with my wife and I, but she never, ever just packed up and left me high and dry. Say, you know what? I'm out. And I'll never talk to you again. So, you know, it's really, really that, that to me, that's the biggest advantage. And then also having that person that you can have fun with. Cause there's some people that, you know, Oh, she looked good. But can, you know, can she make you laugh? Can you make her laugh? Are y'all going to be able to, you know, just sit around the house and bullshit? You know, I can do that. My wife and I can, I'm, I'm a homebody. I'm more of a homebody. My wife is the outgoing one. I said, <laughs> but for me, I know I could just, I could do something, you know, I could throw a picnic in the living room, whatever. I go, you know what? Let's get rid of the kids and the dog. <laughs> We're going to have a picnic right here in the house. <laughs> and, you know, and different things like that. Because, like I said, you get you you can run across that woman. What? This, this what you doing? We sitting in the house. You broke. You cheap. You Nah, it's, it's not that. It's the understanding. Like, all right, cool. I know this is what he likes or this is what she likes. You know, and, and just willing to. This, to me, honestly, is that the main advantage is having somebody that understands you, your flaws and your weaknesses and. And, and that's willing to deal with it and work through the situation with you. I'm going to get you out of here on this question. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between the Ringo today and the selfish Ringo who wanted it all, wanted to run the streets and had a relationship? <laughs> um, it's just, um, I have more, more of an understanding and appreciation for, you know, for my wife, for my household, you know, my kids and everything. Because it's, it was never a point to where I didn't appreciate or understand. I didn't appreciate 
my kids and stuff like that, but I never appreciated everything all at once. It was, I appreciate my wife here, or girlfriend at the time, I appreciate her here, I appreciate the kids here, and I appreciate the streets here and all this other stuff, so minus the streets, bring the wife and the kids, everything together. So I, now I think it's just I, I appreciate not truly understand what I have now. You know, back then, I didn't know what the hell I had. And I, <laughs> I, I was pushing I was pushing her out the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going I'm to I'm help you out before I end this. But honestly, man, most of us don't understand the women we had when we were young. It's just because, <laughs> hell, I didn't. I mean, you know, I, I didn't have... I can't say I had the same issues, mm -hmm. but I definitely did not understand the woman I had. So you're not alone on that one. <laughs> I appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> hey, look, I want to thank you, man, for just being so transparent with your story and and just thank you for being, the, you know, being a, a good brother who shares a story because a lot of us can learn from that. And just the, um, we don't get too many people that's transparent about their struggles. So I thank you for choosing my platform to do that. Oh, no, I appreciate you for having me. And like I said, any any time, man, from the people here that just know this is the same energy and things that you get that I'm giving <laughs> here, the same thing you get on my platform when I talk about, you know, my my relationship with my wife. This is This is honestly me. <laughs> Before we go, make sure we tell the people how they can um, follow you and how they can listen to the podcast. Um, you can find me on, um, honestly, if you go to my IG page, we need to talk 23 underscore pod. Um, there's a link in my bio to my link tree. Um, you can find me on Spotify, um, Apple, um, what is it, Google, Amazon. You can find me on all streaming platforms. I have a YouTube channel also. We need to talk 23 pod. Um, if you want to see the visuals of, you know, of my interviews and things, you can definitely go there and check them out. Um, yeah, and if you want to get in contact with me, you can reach me um, on Gmail. We need to talk 23pod at gmail.com. Or honestly, just you can just DM me. The email part, <laughs> I check the email, but the easiest way to get in contact with me, honestly, is, is DM me on IG. Hey, again, man, I, I thank you again for coming, and I wish you and your wife all the best and also all the best with everything you got going with the podcast, the book. Um, I just wish you all the best, brother. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Definitely. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can, you can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp and you can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.